You are listening to the Young Western Podcast with your hosts, Cheyenne and Montana Donuquette, where we talk about all things from Western lifestyle to your dating stories and honestly everything in between that. Hope you enjoy. All right, guys, we are back with another episode. Thank you to everyone, firstly, who has been listening and rating and reviewing and messaging us. We Oh my gosh, it's been kind of overwhelming, all the positive um, feedback, I think. Yeah, we are just really excited to be doing this. And I mean, we're just having fun with it, but we are getting some really cool people on. Like Justin last week, we got great feedback from that. And we are just very appreciative and grateful for everyone's support. And we would love to hear everything else you guys think, what you guys want to hear. Um, But yeah, yeah, we take on all feedback. We are very thankful for that. Yeah, I think that keep an eye on all of our stories because we'll start to put some question boxes up and do some kind of listener interaction episodes where we ask you guys questions and read out your stories and things like that, have a bit of fun with it. But, um, yeah, make sure you keep letting us know what you love, what you don't quite love, whatever. This is kind of trial and error, error period, but we're getting there, I think. Yeah, we definitely are, and it's all just been a whole lot of fun. But Today's episode, we kind of want to talk a little bit about um, a few comparisons between America and Australia with rodeo, horses, ballet racing, um, kind of the differences, cultural changes, but we're definitely going to focus a lot on the horses and rodeo side of it, I guess. Yeah, so this episode, we're really going to focus on um, probably more the bower racing horses in, if you don't know, which if you don't, you've probably been living under the rock, but Montana is currently living in Texas in the USA and traveling, rodeoing, riding some of the most amazing bower racing horses in the country and really, really heavily involved with some extremely good athletes and, and, and some extremely, um, high profile equine athletes, I guess. Um, you do get a lot of, Montana gets a lot of questions about the differences between Australia and America. And we just kind of wanted to delve into that for you guys. And obviously this is all our own opinion. So take everything we say, you know, with a grain of salt, take what you want, leave what you want, but this is our opinion in what we have seen. Um, yeah. Yeah. So definitely just all opinion based. Um, if you don't like it, don't listen um and that's about all I have for you we're not professionals because being a bow racer you don't have to do a course and get a professional opinion certificate which is really good for <laughs> a lot of a lot of couch yeah. jockeys out there a lot of couch jockeys makes but for I guess great content <laughs> right first we will probably jump into our run review run reviews try that again yes um what have you been up to the last week, couple of weeks? What's been happening your side of the world? Well, um, I've been a little bit different to usual. We actually jetted away to Thailand for a quick holiday for a week. We had an amazing time over there. Um, we just kind of really needed a holiday, although it never seems like the right time to go away. It was very much needed. So we spent a week over there. We visited a lot of Pete's friends, um, he lived over there for a, a while fighting and doing fight camps and things like that. So we can't wait to get back. But we that honestly, I loved it. I cannot recommend that enough. So, And I'm not much of a touristy person, but I really did like it. But we flew back in on Friday and went. I went straight to Lang Lang in Victoria. 
And I had a little clinic on the Saturday. So it was one day um, clinic, like a, a fundraising clinic for the Lang Lang Rodeo that is coming up in uh, on Easter Monday, I do believe. So we had an awesome clinic there. Um, yeah, we had heaps of fun. The weather held off. It was a really cool bunch of girls. And I think everyone kind of, well, actually, I know everyone improved. I actually do a thing in my clinics where I like they run when we first get there, they make a run or whatever it might be. We time it, video it, and then we do another run at the end of the day. Ideally, it's over a weekend, but, and then we sort of compare time. So everyone is competing against themselves, obviously, because there's a range of different horses and riders. So yeah, everyone improved dramatically, which is great. It makes me feel like I sort of have done my job. Um, And yeah, I don't know. I always feel really good after I do a clinic. I just feel really like, connected and like happy I don't know it's just maybe it's just me getting out of my house (laughs) yeah what did you get up to you had an amazing weekend I heard yeah well I was actually um my Monday I Bobby has had I haven't ran him for a couple weeks and I'm gonna try and get to some rodeos this month just um amateur rodeos so I took him to a jackpot Monday and he ran really nice I mean it was probably conventionally a little bit sort of messier than the usual, but it was a lot faster. Um, and he got some 1D money, which was very exciting. Um, wow. There was about, I guess that was like our usual Monday jackpot they run every week at Stephenville. And there was like 150 entered. And I'm just saying this is kind of, I like to compare, not compare, but I know what it's like back home. And just to give context. Like, yeah. To give context. So, um, there was 150 in that. And if I'm being honest, that's probably like, it's not small, but you, you'd you get like 140, 150 easy um, down there at Stephenville for a Monday. So he ran really good. He just felt good and was running hard. And I kind of, I've had someone else rode him a couple of times who um, sort of like got him a little hotter because I have quite a quiet seat, I guess. So I think that I probably yeah. just need to keep geeing him up a little bit more and keep him his feet moving, keep him sort of a little bit more switched on. You you placed with some really amazing riders though, didn't you? Yeah. Like I did. it was a um, salty little bow race. Oh, yeah. I mean, all the, I guess all pretty much if you go to any jackpot around where I live anyway, um, within probably like an hour, two hours of where I live, you're going to have like NFR girls, you know, um, there's like Stevie Hillman goes to a lot of them around here and they just, these girls have so many horses that just need, runs each week um so yeah there was like stevie cassie um mary walker i seen was in the draw there who you kind of know well is. yeah but yeah the, it's pretty cool to be able to run against people like this because it gives you a really good gauge of where you're at yeah <laughs> it, it'll make you improve that's for sure yeah and i guess rolling on from that straight into this episode I guess that's probably one of the biggest um, concerns I see in rodeo, but particularly barrel racing. I do know a lot of people that have taken rope horses and stuff over there, um, and I feel like that's just a bit of a different scale to barrel racing horses. There seems like there's this uh, sort of belief or um, unwritten rule that says that Australian horses will never compare to the American horses, and I think you know, in the just small handful of Australian horses that have been to America um, over the years, going all the way back to, was it Blue Dog that went over that, you know, years ago? 
You're now running at a Monday jackpot, placing in the 1D, top of the 1D with horses that Stevie Hillman is riding, that Cassie Mowry is riding. What is your kind of outlook on that now that you have spent a bit over a year there with a horse competing? What is your kind of outlook on just are our horses as talented? Are we, you know, miles behind? Is it a population thing? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, and I, in the, in the last year, I haven't entered any priorities or anything like that just because I haven't been able to get to them yet, which is something that I'm aiming to do. Um, and now that he's proved himself a little bit, Bobby, I, it's given me the confidence to be like, okay, I wouldn't look completely stupid entering one. And yeah. there is, you know, it's still anyone can enter a priority as long as you buy a card. Um, mm. So it's it's kind of, you know, anyone can enter. Um, but, yeah, I think that Bobby has started lately to prove himself that, you know, he has kind of that solid pattern on him. I know from running him at rodeos back home that he is that, like, gritty rodeo horse because there is such a big difference um, between – maturity jackpot horses and rodeo horses just in yeah. ground conditions and the conditions that they deal with at rodeos um but yeah I mean I think that Bobby having won money at pro rodeos back home and then being able to come over here and in they call this area I guess like the toughest area to bow racing because of just the people that live around here and the horses that are around here and the girls and stuff um so yeah, I think that there is a lot of differences in, as you said, population. Like the population of people in America is just ridiculous. And when you get over here, you realize like it's a, it's a wild way they live and lifestyle outside of rodeo. Um, just because there's so many people that live here. So yeah, it um, yeah, I think that it's definitely a population thing, a money thing. But I do think that Bobby's kind of proven that. There's horse. There's also a lot of horses back home that bet him or ran at the same level as him that like I'd bring over here in a heartbeat yeah. because they're talented, gritty horses um, that can clock in a lot of rodeo conditions. Yeah, I think um, in my opinion, what it is showing, and I think we talked to Shane Kenny about this as well, but. <laughs> If we had the same population, the same population, which would in turn have the same kind of money in our sport in Australia, I have no doubt that we would have the same amount of champion horses and and champion jockeys that America does. I just, in seeing horses that are quite competitive here, go over to America and be quite competitive. Understandably, there is a big adjustment period, but it's not like he's running you know, a second behind anything. He's clocking with these horses. And like you said, there is horses that were clocking with him and, and even possibly beating him at different times over here. I think he is um in the best shape and running the best he ever has now. But it kind of, in my opinion, just shows it's just a numbers game. We might only have, you know, 15 of those horses in our country, whereas they have 200. But they are there and they are as competitive in my opinion yeah and I think it's um it's you know like you said he is in such good shape and he's kind of in that prime age of his life and he's sound and everything like that but I I could take him he's clocked this well at Jack but I could take him to a priority or not win a check for a long time because there's 
like, you know, San Angelo Slack the other day. I think there was like 200, at least 280 something in the Slack at that sort of pro rodeo. So you can't, and only however many make it back. So one person can win first. Do you know what I mean? There can be a whole lot of horses within a very close time, like within very close times. Um, yeah. But there's just that of them. So yeah. it's kind of, is just a population thing. And you could go further north at the right times and, um, you know, pick where you rodeo and stuff like that and, and do really well. This is just the, the really hot area to be and. Yeah, I definitely think that Australian horses have proved themselves um, over time over here, but it's just there's just not as many of them. Yeah, no doubt it is tougher to win a check there with the pure. There's just, like I said, there might be 20 horses here, but there's 200 of them there. So it is extremely tough in saying that. There's more money and more events. So yeah. it's sort of, I think somewhat it is all in proportion Going on from that, what kind of differences have you made or have you kind of noticed with the high-level barrel racing horses that are quite extreme differences in America to Australia? Like is there is there some kind of care that, you know, you do veterinary stuff? Is there anything that you see that you're like, wow, I wish this was so much more important in Australia or that you've noticed has really helped your horse? Yeah. Um, this could be a big one to unpack. No, but Bobby, I, I've tried to keep him really simple. I'm like, I don't want to overcomplicate him and I don't want to have him, um, you know, jacked up so I wasn't always at the vets. I try not to. I, I mean, I think he's generally a pretty tough horse. I think he's that type of horse, like cool or whatever, that yep. he's tough, and has a lot of heart and he's, he'll, he'll do whatever you ask him to. So, um, Back home, I had – it's just, again, just a different caliber of um, of vets and different types of vets that specialize in – you know, I have the vet here specializes in bow racing. He's the, one of the best soundness vets there is. Um, yeah. So Bobby, since coming over here, I've had his stifles injected um, just as a maintenance thing. And I – back home, I already ran him on Lasix, but over here I run him on – Lasix and I used to run him on Butte back home like Butte Paste but now I just run him on Vanamine just as a again a general anti-inflammatory um yeah. I kind of have learned that Vanamine is a little bit easier on their tummy for you know ulcers and stuff like that so mm -hmm. that's why I switched him over to that um so he just runs on those two and obviously electrolytes when I Lasix him but aside from that I I really try to keep him pretty simple I try to um his his grain he just gets strategy of purina feed um lots of coastal and alfalfa which is loosened <laughs> yeah um and he has started on a um just a, like a turmeric natural ulcer um supplement mm -hmm. which um just kind of as a bit of a preventive so I do that with him I try to um but aside from that I just kind of I started to write him a little bit I, ch I guess I tune on him a little bit more um yeah. on the pattern or I'm not quite as um just like long trot and lope him every day I'll try and get on maybe tune him roll back on the fence get him firing a little bit more um tune him on the pattern and then sort of be done with that just to get him fit in the right ways if that makes sense yeah yeah definitely 
Yeah, right. So is that the only joints you have injected with Bobby? And I know in Australia it's a really big thing to inject hocks. Like I feel like everyone just injects as hocks. You are you are working quite close, closely with um, honestly probably one of the best, if not the best, vet in the country, and you do work with a lot of other horses with that vet. So you uh, you would see a lot of things. Are they way more hectic with injections and drugs and um, vet maintenance in America? Have you found? Uh, then I guess obviously it's then personal experience. There is obviously people that are super hectic with drugs and stuff over here as well, but. I don't think it's, I don't know. What, what is your opinion? Yeah, so I am very lucky that, although he does need a shout out, I have Marty Tanner um, as Bobby's vet. And mm-hmm. back home I had had Bobby kind of just, I just started not long before I came over. I guess I just kind of started that, like I have a good horse, I'm going to get him checked over for a soundness check and mum kind of thought it was really dumb she was like there's nothing wrong with him why are you taking him I was like mom I you know I'm gonna take him so he'd had his hocks done back home a couple times um and that was all they picked out and when I got him over here Marty did his stifles uh he's done them twice now I think but yeah it's just that different you know he could see that it was in his stifles not his hocks um and last time he got his stifles done he I think he got them done with Arthromid which is just like another type of drug um and I'm kind of when new ones come out I'm fine with Marty trying them on Bobby because it is just upgrading technology so um Bobby's had his stifles done and I try not to not to overload him if he doesn't need anything else he has really good feet he's you know we're lucky that he did run at a lot of well, not a lot, but pretty much down home, a lot of the maturities that there were when he was, say, five, six. Um, but still, it was it's literally nothing compared to how they run over here. So he's pretty sound from not running hard as a three and four and five-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I think that in that way, that's where Australian horses benefit a lot because we don't have the money up in the big events as maturities, which they're getting a lot bigger now, and I love them. I... I love to run at the futurities when I was back there and I did but um I think that that's kept a lot of the horses in the past really sound back home because they weren't running that hard and I think even now I would not be scared to futurity horses all year back home because they're still not going to be making that many runs that's going to cripple them but you know yeah for their put it in their prime um but yeah I've seen a lot of different joints injected that I didn't know could be injected like shoulder joints um I didn't wow, okay. I just yeah I just this you know horses have been sore and they couldn't figure it out if it was in the feet um in the knees but it was in the shoulder joints um was that of, just like a um did they just sort of nerve block until they could find it or yeah pretty much yeah that's that's you know Marty's a sound this- vet, so yeah, and I'm just thinking of people going to their own vets if they're, you know, trying to find something that is going on. I assume most vets would do this, but I think that, yeah, they're they're just a lot more extensive in, in America. Yeah, they are. And um, they're, I guess, because, again, the population, this area is so heavily with bow racing, roping, cutting horses. Um, they do a certain type of work that the vets are, at, are familiar with what joints are going to wear down they've seen things um before that they'll recognize in other horses 
So I think that that's very important. And that's where down home, especially where we lived, it's racehorses. So it's different kind of injuries that they're doing and they're not necessarily as familiar with bow racing horses. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that like a really big thing that a really big thing, especially to me is like having their feet done well and having a really good yeah. barrier that, that helps keep down kind of from the ground up. Um, but yeah, I would not, I, I would not hesitate to, um, if you're worried, kind of really pester your vet about checking things out, because I do believe that like horses don't just, um, just start being naughty or get sore or whatever. And maintenance is, I think it's definitely required. I, I figured out, and I don't know if I've spoke about it on the podcast, but when, um, when I ran at Waco and Bobby kind of ran off a little bit and did that weird thing, I figured out that that was not to do with anything with his joints, but he was, he had been sick and I didn't realize any struggles struggling to breathe. Like he had a lot of mucus and stuff in his airways. Um, yeah. And I think that by the time that last run, he just couldn't like get enough air in and that he had to pull himself up and he just kind of had to do anything to stop it. So that yeah, was kind so of, he was making a run and he turned his first and second drum and then just like sort of coasted yeah, by his third kind of. Yeah, and like leaped and bounded. I didn't know if he was trying to kind of hump up, which is just not like him at all. So I pulled him up and at that time I didn't know what it was and he wasn't, um, he didn't have anything about maybe a month before that he had a little bit of a cough, but I sort of thought it was done with. And it still took me quite a while after that run to realise what it happened because it took that long for him to kind of show signs of like a runny nose um so when I finally eventually got him scoped he had a lot of mucus and it was just I think something he picked up from traveling and staying in stalls and stuff at different bow races but that's something that I look back on and I'm like they're trying to tell you something (laughs) like it's so interesting isn't it like to think that that could possibly be the reason a lot of horses are mucking up in different runs. They could just not be quite fit enough or they could be bleeders or um, having chest infections and things like that is a lot more common than I think people understand. Oh, definitely. And, yeah, I, looking back now, I think that that is the reason he did that, which was not related to his joints. It was that he couldn't get enough air and he was, like, struggling to breathe. So I feel really bad about that. But I just didn't even think. Um so, yeah. yeah, I've had him scoped a couple of times, scoped right after runs kind of around that time, and he hasn't shown any signs of bleeding or anything like that, but I'll run him on lay sticks all the time, like every time I run him just um, as a preventative because it's highly recommended. Yeah. Um, the next thing I wanted so to – yeah, that's kind of – Touch on, yeah, keep going. No, I um, was just sort of thinking like – I understand they, they're so much more hectic on the road over there. So these horses are going to, you know, spending months on the road. And um, from what I have seen and I've been on the road a little bit, nothing like you, but they do spend a lot of hours in in um, trailers and then a lot of hours in stalls. They don't get a whole lot of time to kind of walk around and whatever. In my understanding, I guess it would be really – kind of difficult for these horses to be very jacked up or you would have to be quite specific with what kind of supplements and drugs and things you are giving horses because you can't you obviously couldn't jack a horse to the nines and give them some insane high drug and then put them on the trailer for 10 hours and expect them to run the next day the same and the next day and the next day so what um 
what have you kind of noticed in regards to, and it might be like the trends or whatever, or just the people you're around, but joint formulas, um, different like Lasix, different drugs. I know there's many, many different drugs you can give horses as performance enhancing drugs in our sport. What are the kind of general things that are going on with these horses on the road is there from what I could understand there seemed to be two kinds of people there was the people that kept them sound for their entire career and those horses were on pretty basic kind of supplements they were just fed a lot of hay and um they weren't too drugged up and they just had maintenance on their joints and they were lazy and then there was a whole nother group of horses that didn't last very long but they were jacked to the nines and they were usually not lasting too long but they were super freaks is that sort of the same um you know, thing that you have seen or? Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on the type of person you are and what your goals are with it. You know, some people will, there's people that will have like one horse and run it the whole year. And, you know, people like Donna Kay and stuff like that, that will have like one horse run it the whole year long. And, um, and it's their personalities, I think, show through in their horses and what they, what they give them. And, um stuff like that those horses they have to be so conscious of them because a horse just will not run at those kind of calibers and like nally miller and those kind of ladies those horses just won't stand up to that i would assume yeah yeah i mean yeah and it i i think that breeding plays a lot into how little or how much you have to drug a horse in you know um their gut health and ulcers and joints and tying up and stuff like that I think that some breeds are a little bit stronger in their joints and tougher in their you know mind and stuff like that so um I mean the kind of big difference is I think that all these trailers over here have like waters and feeders so they could stand on that trailer and eat and drink all day long and not have to get off it um which is handy because they're traveling gosh it's it's tough because not necessarily further because back home we'll drive four days to one rodeo, but they might do like four rodeos in four days, but it's, you know, 12 hours each day or something over here. Um, yeah. So these horses have to be used to kind of standing on the trailer, get off, go and stand in a stall or, um, yeah. you know, they might stop at a, at a friend's house and they'll stand in the stall, whereas back home it's kind of, get them off the trailer, set them up a nice big grass pen and they can move around a little bit more. Um, so I think that these horses over here have to be mentally pretty tough to be able to handle all that type of stuff. Um, eating on the road, like seasoning them on the road, I have, from what I've seen, can be tough too. You know, they can come out of there being really successful futurity and derby horses and then it's the adjustment to driving for three days straight, making a run and turning around and going home is different to going and sitting at a futurity for four days and it's a couple hours down the road or whatever, something like that. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's where kind of the difference comes in in um, how well they can handle the road and how long it takes them to adjust. But, yeah, yeah the same type of thing. You know, they can go and make, like I think Houston was two runs in a day and it's, you know, usually you'll run them on Lasix. So do you Lasix them twice a day um, or just the once? is kind of a decision and I honestly it's up to each girl it's up to each girl and how they decide to what they do with their horse but um 
there's kind of, I mean, there's all the therapies and stuff like that, but I think that on the road I've seen kind of beamers use the beamer blankets and um, boots mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, and I think that their breathing is really important with the nebulizers and kind of keeping the airways open after they've stood on a trailer all night long or stood in a stall all day or whatever it is. Um, yeah. Just getting kind of the lungs and the airways opened up is really important. And there's also a lot of oral supplements, um, you know, oxygen products and stuff like that and paste that you can give them to open up their airways. There's kind of like the tranquility paste, which is a more natural paste to calm them down a little bit as mm-hmm. opposed to like a heart hard drug like a hard sedative or whatever a sedative because that and in reality like I think a lot of people know there is a lot of sedatives used like drug sedatives used in our industry in saying that and correct me if I'm wrong but and this is my opinion but I don't think that that is a long-term plan for a lot of these horses like I think if you're trying to put a horse on the road that needs to be sedated every time it runs and whatever you're going to come into a fair bit of trouble sooner rather than later yeah yeah I think that's a hard um hard thing and I haven't spent that much time kind of with the future you know in the futurities that much but they're running them as babies and stuff like that so then if they're going to transition into rodeos like you said it's hard to maintain that long term or you know if the futurity girls yeah. want to sell them on to people um it's just a whole different ball game the futurity yeah. and rodeo world yeah, to maintain. And that's this is not saying that everyone drugs their horses at all. This is, we're 100% not saying that, nor do we even really see it all that often, but you just know it happens a lot, I guess. And I'm just yeah. trying to like, I my personal fascination is like with how these horses, the things they have to go through, what they need to be able to do to handle being on the road. And I just can't imagine... I think there's like a big misconception too that that all everyone that rodeos drugs them and carries on with big drugs and I just don't think a horse could be have a long career and be that successful if they were drugged to the eyeballs every time they run because are you going to do that twice a day every day like it it just won't last. Yeah, exactly. And I think it yeah, it depends on um like some horses need it, some horses don't. Um but it's just depend figuring out how you can run them how much you can cut them how much they can handle it mentally because as you said if it's a horse that requires a lot of in general drugs to run on to do this to do that you're probably gonna have to give them a little bit more time off for their body to recover or you know you need to figure out how much they can handle being on the road as opposed to some a horse that might be a little similar that's just a bit tougher like a tougher tougher type of horse tougher mentality stronger um yeah it's and that's what I think makes um, those tough, strong, gritty horses is how much can they handle being on the road. Um, and then you'll see the freaks come out and win everything, which is amazing and it's so exciting. But can they handle being on the road long term? You know, it's it's just different. Everyone's different. Every type of horse is different. The breedings and stuff like that, I think they have a real big part to play in it. Yeah, I think um, and something I sort of think that we don't understand as much in Australia is just how many different kind of general supplements you'll need to have a horse on just for their overall health, considering the amount of uh, diseases and things that America has that Australia doesn't necessarily even have. 
But if these horses are standing in different stalls that are like in showgrounds and things like that every single day and on the trailer, their immune system is really compromised. They're always in that kind of fight flight mentality, making runs. If you were to pick a, this is on another tangent, but if you were to pick a horse to send to America and put on the road, I would really not overlook their mindset. Like something like Bob, who is a super just tough, he's a little bit arrogant, just a bit of a like, just a bit of a machine. You know, he's a gritty, tough horse. He's the kind of horse that probably will be able to handle the road a hell of a lot better than something that's a lot more finicky, loses weight on the road. And I think that's kind of goes with that saying, but I don't know how many people take that super seriously. You know, you say if, yeah. if someone was wanting to take their horse from Australia to America. And then the other thing, like you said, about a lot of airway drugs, keeping these horses airways open and just like vitamins and minerals to try and keep their immune system kicking along. Yeah. And that was, I think that was kind of the thing that really shocked me was when Bobby got really sick and it was kind of ongoing. Um, that was from the first time we went somewhere and had to stay like two nights in stalls. And they were, they were open stalls, but he was still nose to nose with the horse next door who I don't know whose horse that was. Like it mm-hmm. just, and then, you know, in these big long hauls, they'll stand on the trailer. Yeah, they get to eat and drink, but they don't get to get their head down. And so that's where, mm-hmm. all, you know, everything drains out. Um, and if you're feeding them in stalls, you'll usually want to hang their buckets so that they don't pick up stuff off the ground. So it's just so tough on them being on the road and trying to maintain their health. Um that yeah, I think you have to have something that's a little bit tough, and I that's definitely was why I was more inclined to bring Bobby over to. You know, I've had other horses in the past who I just think wouldn't have even handled the flight. You know, wouldn't have handled stuff like that. So that helped me decide to bring him over along with. You know, you have to kind of be a little bit realistic with their soundness, their age, and stuff like that. If you did want to bring a horse over. Um, just to kind of make sure that you're making the right decision for yourself financially. Yeah. Speaking um, like on soundness and things like that, we talked a little bit about this last week with Justin about our horses in Australia having to run on grounds that are a little less ideal. But a lot of the time we're running and our paddocks um, where these horses grow up, like they're literal just everyday riding and, and standing around the ground is often a lot harder and, and the conditions are a bit harsher and and there's extremely harsh conditions in America as well. But we were kind of questioning whether some of the time that really makes these horses a little more gritty and sometimes uh, like genetically the Australian bred horses are just have those kind of stronger bones and things like that. And I don't know, there's obviously no science behind this, but it just seems um just genetically you know from years of yeah. continuous breeding and being on these grounds and living in tough climates i do wonder whether that does play a play a part in it as compared to breeding these like extremely borderline lab bred horses that are extreme athletes but they do have so many other little finicky problems and often break down and things yeah so yeah that was that was really interesting what Justin was saying last week and I don't know there could be kind of stuff science behind it but um yeah he pretty much was saying that they they have to be a lot tougher and due to the ground conditions where I live here it's quite sandy um sort of like 
red dirt, quite sandy, or it's all natural sand underneath. So, um, we, you know, literally physically, it's not as hard a ground compared to sort of where I'm from. Yeah. I guess Um, like, um, a lot of the horses were, it's not as the generational breeding in Australia is not as old as America either. So like a mad, a big majority of our bow racing horses go straight back to work horses in Australia from when we bred them to work and anything that was breaking down or couldn't handle the work was not bred. So I, you know, I think that at some point that can advantage us maybe. Yeah, I think for sure it does. And I think that we're still also half, not half the time, but a lot of the time we're still using, you know, some people might use their bow racing horses to do other things, to bring cattle into muster, to stuff like that. So they still have to be sound enough to go and run up mountains or run out the flat and bring cattle in and stuff. So they have to still be that strong, tough sound to run across hard ground without shoes on or with shoes on or without boots on or without soft rides on like yeah. I think that we're kind of between using them as workhorses and keeping their minds fresh and taking them to bow races and rodeos on the weekend because it's not their full-time job because it's rodeo and bow racing back home isn't yet a full-time career yeah and I think that, that there's just that fine line between breeding enough toughness and grittiness into a horse, but also putting enough of that athletic freakiness ability into them to where they can still still outrun other um, more just sort of tough cowbred horses, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And I think that over here you'll still find those type of horses that are that, are that, that type of breed or that type of bone structure and stuff like that. And if you find the right ones, they'll work. Um, but yeah, it's definitely this air, oh, you know, the, the bow racing industry, we're breeding these amazing freaks that can run at three and four and five and six and, um, can rodeo and stuff like that, but it's just a whole different ball game. Yeah. So I guess to kind of wrap this up, I think a lot of people would just wonder, um, just straight out what you're kind of using joint formula wise, what you're kind of using feed wise. I know we've kind of brushed all over it, but just kind of a little more direct. What are you using for his joints? If anything, what are you using for his feed? Um, And any other kind of anything else that you're like, yep, this is really working because obviously your horse is really clocking really well. Um, You've been able to see so many different things that you could use and, and do. What are you using with Bobby? Yeah, so I um have just started using a product from Stance Equitech in Australia. They actually sent it over to me to give it a try, which was really nice. And that was the um gastric supplement that I was telling you about a little bit earlier. So it's like formulated with turmeric and stuff like this, which um I'm kind of a little bit of a hippie in that way that I'm like, I don't want to, you know, overload them on um stuff that's not yeah artificial stuff so he just gets a scoop of that in his feed I think it's um morning and night but I am about to order some more of that because I do really like it um Mm -hmm. and he eats just half a scoop of strategy morning and night which is kind of like a really general feed over here it's made by Purina um and then coastal and alfalfa and that's when i'll travel him i'll try and keep hay in front of him kind of as much as i can um Mm -hmm. 
and joint wise I just get his stifles injected kind of when it seems like he needs them done um but I do try and keep track of that every sort of three to six months it's going to depend how much I'm running him I did um that's I think that's all I have him on I'll give him I'll run when I run him I'll give him an electrolyte just to kind of um get all those salts and stuff back into his muscles but that's honestly all I've been running him on I am going to order some more of the um Sans equine gastric supplement just because I mean he's looking amazing I, I do also give him um oil in his mouth it's like wheatgrass oil or something it's just like a straight oil which i bought it when i first got over here to try and fix his coat up after i clipped him mm -hmm. but that's everything that he's on i run him on lasix and vanamine and that's it he's he's simple that. i'm trying to keep him simple i don't want to overcomplicate it and i i want him to still kind of be a horse yeah but yeah if if I felt the need to add in any other type of joint supplement, I got recommended um, the Platinum Complete Joint Formula, mm -hmm. which I did have him on for a little while, but I just didn't get around to ordering anymore. But I did really like that. I got recommended that from um, a vet as kind of like an overall supplement and joint supplement. So yeah. that would be my only extra go-to, and that's just added in his feed. Um, but, yeah, that's him for now. That's all he's on. He's a simple boy. I don't know if people want to know like what what I use in Australia. I guess probably I do go a lot of what Montana says, but I just I don't know if things are a little more relatable hearing it Australian wise. I don't have um I'm pretty basic as well. I don't have any horses that right now are needing too much maintenance or anything. I, I've got really young horses that aren't. I'm not even running that much, so they don't they're not really needing injections. Um, we keep our the bulldogging horses, like the older horses that are making a lot more runs and I'll keep my bow racing there on Penazan. I don't hear of that as much over there. Um, and I am using uh, Equinox. Is that the is Equinox, the tablet? Yeah. So it's like a long-lasting, how I always described it is, it was like a longer-lasting anti-inflammatory, I guess, like a uh, like a yeah, like a butte that you would always keep them on, if that makes sense. And I do know they use it a lot in America. Yeah. Um, and it's relatively cheap, right? Yeah, yeah. From what I understand, it's not that expensive. Um, I keep the good horses on Copra and um, I give them Sen Oil. And and this is, probably, this is probably a little over the top. They really probably don't need it, but just especially with this change of weather, I want to keep them bulked up. Um, I give them scent oil. I give them that. They have like a, um, sweet pro lick. Cause I really, I really think as an overall supplement, they're amazing. Yeah. I love the sweet pro blocks. Yeah. And I try and keep all the broodmares just, I'll have one out there with them, just keeping them. They just seem to really be super easy to obviously feed. Um, and you can get them loose as well. So I often just get them loose and feed it in their feeds. And then, I do give, and this is kind of really old school, but I do give um, the Tough Rock Joint Formula, mainly because we had some really old like school horses that we used to put on it that seemed to really respond to it well. And it's also that kind of overall supplement. So I just put it in all of the horses' feeds and they seem to be doing, we don't have any sort of lameness issues or soundness issues. We do have really hard ground as well. And these horses 
do get worked pretty hard. Um, and then obviously we're hay farmers. So we feed a lot of loosen, pretty much always feeding loosen and always feeding oaten or barley hay. Um, they've got constant access to oaten and barley hay and then loosen, but we don't have much pick on the ground either. So we'll put them, the broodmares and stuff are out in like oats paddocks. So when they're out there, obviously they don't get as much hay, but they just get the pick on the ground. Um, that is from memory. I think my main, all that I really do whenever I was running cool, he would get his hocks um, injected towards the end. I think he was getting his fetlocks injected as well. Um, but his hock seized up when he was like tw- a couple years into his career. So he he had plenty of injections. He got um, a few other, uh, I can't remember what that, we gave him the drug that is like a osteoporosis drug um, that like relined all these joints that did wonders for him. But we don't have any horses that we really need to inject at this moment. But yeah, that's if, if you're Australian, I don't know if you wanted that advice, but I gave it to you anyway. <laughs> that's what kind of where we're at. Yeah. And being hay farmers, what is your what is your input on kind of quality of hay? And is can you is there a big difference in hay? Like as in if you just buy it from someone, Joe Blow at the feed store, or you know, someone that puts kind of the way that hay is grown and the nutrient content and stuff like that, and can it affect um how does it affect your horses? I know that we've had a few conversations about kind of like gut health and maybe muscle health and tying up and stuff like that and the quality of yeah. hay and feed that you give them. Yeah. So um, I've just been thinking we should probably definitely will get Lee or and Pete, my partner, on to talk about this because they are both incredibly um, – they they're so knowledgeable when it comes to hay and horse hay and cattle hay but yeah look it is extremely important the quality of hay that you feed um a lot of a lot of hay farmers just grow hay and I understand that it is really hard to get hay at different times we personally we grow like we pride ourselves on growing a premium product for performance horses and for like high-end cattle like beef cattle we feed test all of our hay and if you can't read a feed test i suggest you learn and if your your hay provider can't provide you with a feed test i suggest you find one um but we feed test all of our hay to make sure that it's got the right digestibility so like how they can digest the food what nutrients they can actually um take up from the hay we spent um and i'm saying this is me and pete but i know my uncle lee he's he's so big on it as well we spent i think we spent like two or three years preparing ground so putting different um crops through and different like sprays and different um methods of working the ground so that the pads could be right so that we could just plant loosen so that's how we spent three years preparing ground just so that we could put loosen into it so that it would grow up like grow to be the highest quality loosen that we could possibly provide um this is kind of why the whole copra and i just feed a little bit chaff and copra that's really um sort of probably more for my own mental i don't know i just like feeding horses i'm a typical horse girl we when these horses are on this hay full time there isn't much that they're lacking in. Like you really don't find, you you can send hair away and take bloods and everything. There really isn't 
any kind of nutrient that they are lacking in. And it is just, I've just, I just have, I've been really blessed to be able to access really good hay my whole life, but it isn't until I've put so much time and money and effort into like, even we spent $30,000 on chook poo to put on the ground. Like, I think that that's the kind of stuff that would blow people's mind, but yeah, for the extra few dollars per bale or whatever it is, if it's going to save you thousands in supplements or vet bills or it's going to get you half a second every time you run, yeah, probably, probably throw it out there. For all the money that people spend on, you know, different um, treatments and, yeah, supplements and grains and sh- processed shit, I think yeah. we know yeah. with humans how important it is just to have – you know, natural organic diets and how amazing you feel. I don't know why we're not as far along with our equine athletes, but I think we are getting there. And especially if you are spending a lot of time on the road, like you're feeding them full of just like sugar-filled feeds and stuff. It, you, you're going to pull a horse off the trailer with stiff joints and you're going to end up with different oh, kind muscle. of laminated, yeah, muscle soreness and laminated issues. So I, I definitely think it's important and, I think people should, yeah, if you want to take this seriously and you want to take your horse's health seriously and you want to be the best, really start to focus on your hay and get feed tests and things like that. But I think we might do a whole episode on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that we could go on about it for days and the importance we of really it. Could. We really could. I think we'll get some experts on here talking about hay and hay quality and it'll be super interesting. It will be. I think it's very eye-opening. I knew nothing. I mean, I still know nothing about it, to be honest. But from you guys, I've spoke to you and Pete a little bit about different things that I've seen over here and been like, is that going to, is that impacted by this or that? And, you know, (laughs) in a nice way, Pete tells me, yes, you're an idiot. (laughs) Yes, in the nicest way that Peter can, he will tell you straight up. Okay, well, thank you guys so much for listening to another episode. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, make sure you like, rate, review, let us know what you're thinking. Keep an eye on our stories. Like we said, we'll probably put some question boxes up. Um, But, yeah, anything else? Yeah, no, I think that that's us. We hope you learned something or had your mind opened a little bit to new ideas and things you can try with your horses. Um, But, yeah. We hope you all have a great day and a great week. Thank you for listening, guys. 